Hello, Conversations with Dwyer listeners. If you are enjoying the podcast, but you want a little bit more, you can become a Patreon subscriber. And for $5 a month, you can get bonus content, bonus episodes, and a podcast that I create solely for Patreon, where I talk to comedians about the music that they like. And you get a pin that was created by Charlene Yee of the, the, the Conversations with Dwyer logo. So please, become a Patreon subscriber. The link is in my show notes under All Things Dwyer, or you can just go to themattdwyer.com. Thank you, and enjoy this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song is called Wanted, and it is from the EP Terracotta by Lex Leosis. She is, if you don't know, a rapper from Toronto, and her music is great. Uh, the EP is called Terracotta. I'm not sure if I said that. It's out July 9th. All links to Lex Leosis is, are in the show notes. Uh, so please buy, buy the EP, support her. Any way you can, because supporting music is very important. I say it every show. Uh, anyway, she's my guest today. This is a great episode. Uh, I really, like, her and I hit it off right away. Really enjoyed talking to her. And there's, like, 45 minutes of extra content on my Patreon, so feel free to become a Patreon subscriber at themattdwire.com, where all links of me are there. None of that was proper English or a well-constructed sentence, but regardless, please become a Patreon subscriber. If you like Lex, I've had a, a couple other rappers, not a lot. I would open to more. I have had Boots Riley on and Boyfriend, New Orleans uh, rapper, uh, and I love them all very much. Anyway, um, as I was saying, please support Lex uh, and check out my show notes. There's always bonus information and things in the show notes. It's a good, fun read. Sometimes I put jokes in there and secret things. <laughs> uh but, um, yeah, I've really enjoyed this conversation with Lex. And uh, go to my website, themattdwire.com, and you can there's you click on the podcast page, and there's a bunch of... You, it's easy to find my old episodes. You just scroll down. You see the pictures. You go, hey, there's uh, Wayne Coyne from Flaming Lips. I'd listen to that episode. And you click on it, and bam you're listening to another episode. That being said... Oh, oh also, um, there in the show notes, there's a link to Lex has uh, does a... Instagram, and she has a website that she does uh, um, plant-based food stuff, which I'm also a plant-food-based stuff guy, and it's really great, and uh, I can't. I want to make some of that food that she has there, so check that out as well, because that's really cool. And that being said, please enjoy my episode with Lex Leosis. Me and Keys will be Thelma and Louise if they dress to the tea with a trunk full of weed and a drop top of a fourth under I feel like starting with my my childhood is a a good start. Good start childhood. Definitely the weird kid. Definitely the weird kid that was super into all the things that no one else was into. (laughs) I I was very similar. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think, I don't know. My grandparents had an influence on me. So I just liked weird things from the 40s and whatever yeah i feel like the weird kids were always connected to like the like inappropriately older people (laughs) (laughs) 
it was just like yeah your grandparents or like the like older like aunt that's like your cousin but not not really that's kind of and i had like music and movie references that like most kids were like what are you fucking talking about yeah no one else had i was like weirdly obsessed with like even the newer things like lord of the rings like i was so obsessed with lord of the Rings. i had like the action figures and like the i went to i went to the movie theater dressed as legolas oh, for, nice. at like midnight yeah i was a super weird kid <laughs> in a good way were you like nerdy weird or just like eccentric weird i was nerdy weird uh like i liked I've always had like an affinity for like anime and, and like, yeah, like role action live playing and, and stuff like that, but also like peculiar music tastes. Like I liked everything from like jazz to, uh, R and B to yeah. Like old country music and like also soundtracks, like the soundtrack tracks for like Star Trek and Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Super into weird shit like that. Was there any, like was that going on within your family at all or was that stuff you found sort of on your own my dad is uh super into like old movies and has always been like he'd make us watch like the black and white films and and like old country westerns and stuff like that was the same way yeah so there was that and then he also my dad uh is an antique collector like he he sells and buys antiques and and goes to auctions for people's houses that like that are like passed away and then finds like a gem and restores it and then sells it that's been my dad so just like older things always very interested in history and stuff like that as well do you remember any of the movies that stood out to you as a kid because my dad would we would watch some kind of fucked up for a kid to watch movies yeah i think the good the bad and the ugly was the one that that like i can remember watching now um i'm trying to think like old like um charlie chaplin stuff oh that's cool yeah um all over the place i'm i'm trying to think of honestly i i probably didn't really know the names of any of them we just had to watch them with them it's cool i think that's i don't know i feel like that gives you a different reference level which as a for a creative person that probably helps you and gives you a broader palette to work off of yeah definitely my mom was the opposite and we grew up with my mom my parents were divorced so my mom really liked newer stuff like like pop music and my mom was single around the time that I was like in my young childhood early teenage years so she was always bringing us home the like the newer stuff from like dates and bars and clubs that she was at and stuff like that so like we listened to like so we're watching like Charlie Chaplin films with my dad and listening to like 50 sent with my mom and like so it's just kind of all over the place it made me a weird child but now as an adult i'm like man i have such a yeah like diverse interests uh, uh for everything like food music just like culture in general yeah how old were you when your parents split if you don't mind me asking. um six uh i think i was six or seven yeah my brother was about five so yeah i was seven did you know what was going on or was that, I mean, I mean, yeah, not really. I mean, they did have a, I didn't, we, we heard them fighting a lot, but they, uh, they sat us down 
And when I just, re I remember that specific moment and anytime we were sat down in the living room, it was like a family meeting kind of thing. <laughs> and it usually was a good thing. So I thought when they were saying they were getting divorced, like I was excited and my brother started crying. I don't know how my brother knew, but I was like, Oh, this is like a good thing. <laughs> this is great. Like, are we going to Disney world or something like that? <laughs> but, but no. And then we got like, then we got uprooted out of like our, like, childhood kind of home that we had been in in the last couple of years and then shit got really real <laughs> but but after, before that I was just like oh this is not a big deal but it was kind of interesting my dad lives outside of the city so we were able to see him kind of every other weekend for a while and that was an interesting life for a sec yeah I know it's weird because people make still kind of make a big deal out of like divorce and families breaking up but I'm like it fucking happens all the time so it can't be yeah it's like it can't be yeah it's like not I don't know I I'm thinking like thank god they did because I like my parents are such opposite people like knowing them now as an adult I'm like what how the fuck did you guys even get together in the first place you know like I'm like this would be miserable if we had to live our whole lives with you guys in the same house yeah because I feel like people are like well you know we got to stay together for the kids I'm like yeah but if there's tension and weirdness that's not like kids I feel like I have kids and I feel like they pick up on weird shit yeah like all the little detail like the, all the little tension and stuff like they just know yeah because I grew up in a weird family and I feel like you know I'm fucked up because of it. <laughs> right. I mean, we. I feel like everyone's family fucks them up to a degree. Like I'm starting to learn that now, just like as an adult and like having real conversations with other human beings that are like in depth and not surface level shit that like everyone's kind of messed up from their childhood in some, some capacity or another. But I, I do feel like some people had it better off. Like usually I think financial stability is a big, is a big thing as I'm realizing like kids who grew up with parents that had financial stability, like had it way better than the rest of us. There's a confident, <laughs> like I grew up poor and not to, not to brag Lex, but I kind of remained poor. <laughs> yeah. I, me too. It's true. It's uh, still here. <laughs> but like that, cause I, and I knew more in my twenties, but like new rich folks and you know who are also in the arts or whatever and but they mm -hmm. had trust funds and i'm like man there's a whole different confidence to your game isn't there because you don't have facts because you sleep at night motherfucker <laughs> that's right that's, 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 yes that, that's exactly it and i i agree with you i i know the same thing i also grew up in like a pretty um like financially diverse like school like there were like kids who were who were poorer than i was and kids who were way richer than i I was and so I kind of like we go over to like play at different people's houses and it was just like it was like complete difference you know yeah um but there was some security and uh, confidence is like you pointed out is the biggest thing that I find is that like those people that grew up with money as children and even now that have that financial security, whether it be like in a trust fund or they know they're getting money, like they know they're never going to have to worry, you know, um, those people have this level of confidence that it takes us a long time to find. Like I'm just now finding, I'm about to be like 30 and I'm like just now being like, Oh, like I can be confident about my shit <laughs> just now. You know? Yeah. But I also think on the flip, like growing up with money and stuff, it's like, I also know some of my friends with money and their kids also are a bit like, they don't know how to work. 
Like they're in their twenties right. and they don't like, they're kind of like, I got to get a job at a yogurt shop. It's like, yeah, motherfucker, we all do. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I remember that being a really big thing, like a big disparity between my friends growing up was that like people, there was two big things that I remember were always a thing was one. I had a job starting at 12. Like I was like, I, yeah. I was babysitting until they would legally hire me in Canada. And then I got a job at the grocery store and just up the street from my house. And I worked there for years. And, and then also that I had to go, we had to go see my dad every other weekend. So those two things, like other kids did not understand those things. They're like, well, what do you mean you can't play? Like I have a job at the grocery store. Like I have to go or like, or like I can't buy the clothes that I need for school. You know, like, it's like a big deal or like, no, I can't come over to your sleepover party this weekend. Like I'm going to see my father, you know, <laughs> those were two really big deals. Like I remember kids being like, what? Yeah. I worked at a grocery store too. God, we're so alike. I know. Uh, I love this. But, uh, yeah, but the great thing I learned is because it was actually when I was younger, it was a really good job and it was actually a union job back like in the day. Oh, so it was go. like, I was like 18 and had benefits, which is, and then didn't for like yes. 30 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Your 18 years old self was more secure. That's what's going Yeah, kind of a, that's America for you. That's America, exactly. But I was like, but also the, it gave me a sense of freedom because it's like, oh, I don't have to like ask my mom, like I could, like my mom couldn't say you can't have that because I'd be like, I got money. I can go buy whatever the fuck I want. Right. And I, that was a big, just like big thing between me and my mom. When I turned, I was, I moved out of the house at 17. And so when I like started to have my own things at like 15 or 16 and I didn't need anything else, there was like this. I also, my mom was working around the clock to provide for us. And I didn't understand that she was never home for that reason, but I was like raising my little brother. So I just remember this like kind of confidence being like, well, I'm the one here. And I I have the money so that to, to get us whatever we need, you know, like thinking I could just run it. I actually recently, like in the last few years, like had an apology to my mom, like, yo, sorry, I was such a brat when I was 17. Cause it's just like, you have all this independence and like, no one's around to like tell you no. So you're yeah. just like, okay. He also, I mean, like I did the same thing and it's like, it took me years to realize like, and my mom, my dad died when I was young. So my mom suddenly oh. was like in, similar to your mom suddenly you're a single mom and you have a shit ton to yeah. handle and i was like yeah. i didn't fucking comprehend that kind of pressure and what that I must know. have been like for her i know and i and she, my mom was like a my poor mom's gonna listen to this because she listens to all of them and she's like <laughs> she just aired out all her family drama but like my mom was was really stressed growing up like that was a, a thing that i remember all the time is like she would like get mad about there being a plate in the sink or something like that but it was really about like something so yep. much bigger than i could comprehend but we were always like why are you freaking out about the plate in the sink you know and it's like no it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah, I remember that realization too and I was like, "Oh, my dad wasn't mad at me. He was mad at everything around him and it just came towards me because I was I was there." <laughs> was like, right, right. Yeah, no, exactly. I think for both of my parents that kind of realization now, especially too like my dad owns a restaurant which like is a fluctuates like crazy uh, as far as income goes, you know, like some years are really good. And then the next year you're like, I don't even know if I have enough money to eat, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. So like that was, that was really intense growing up. I remember that, like there was a five or six year period where the restaurant, our, 
was doing really bad and they, we didn't know if we were going to like be able to have, have dinner cut and deal, you know? Um, but God bless both my parents. Cause they, they are hard workers. And like you said, like I have never backed down from a challenge in my whole life because I know how to work like crazy, like maybe too hard. You know, I'm actually now being like, yo, slow down. <laughs> You're going to kill yourself. When, when you were 17 and moved out, what was that? what did you move into and what was that situation because that's pretty uh, i moved out not long after that but still it's like yeah I have a late, uh, yeah i have a late birthday so i like i was i moved out the summer before i went to college so i got a job um up north at a at a leadership camp that I had been kind of like doing stuff with. It's called um, Ontario Education Leadership Center. Um, but OELC, I, I was kind of, the two women who ran that, um, their, their wives that ran that place for a while, they're like my moms. And they kind of took me in and they used to give me like these little part-time jobs during the summer, which took me out of Toronto for the summer, which really kept me out of trouble, like a lot of trouble. Um, and then when I, before I went to college, me and my mom were clashing really hard and, um, she was dating my now stepfather at that time. And there was this, there was a lot of change going on and I, could, I didn't have the capacity to process it. So I was just like, let me get out of here. And they gave me a job for the whole summer. And then I went to university at um, Bishops, which is in Quebec. Is that far? Uh, I don't know Canada. Geography yeah. 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 Well. It's um, it's yeah. It's like Toronto to like Montreal and then a little bit South It's by the Vermont border. So it's like about an eight hour drive, nine hour drive from Toronto. It's far. Yeah. And I almost never, I didn't come home that often. Um, so I was like gone for a while, you know, how was um, it to be away from your family for the first time? Was that like a sense of freedom and discovery or. Yeah, it was good. I had, been pretty independent because again like we didn't really have a lot of structure growing up like it was just like everybody was working to try and survive and so so were we you know um but I think the biggest change was that I was away from my little brother and I was like very much like a mom to him and I remember every time we visit my dad he'd say like you have to stop being a mother to your to your little brother and I'm like mm, no one else is doing it so <laughs> I feel like I have to but yeah that was the big thing is that I moved and we're two years apart so he I we weren't gonna be back together again for two years so he was kind of at home but things were a little bit more stable after I left my mom um got remarried so there was like a dual income household again which was good um so yeah, I was worried about my brother a lot when I was gone. That was the biggest thing, but I felt, yeah, this like freedom. That's when I really started digging into my music heavy was first year university. Cause I had all the space and time all of a sudden. Was that something that had been on your mind before and you just didn't have the time to do it or. Yeah, I was doing, um, I was doing throughout high school. I was, um, into spoken word. I was like doing a poetry. I was like the kid that performed the poem at all the assemblies and shit. Like oh, that really? was the weird kid. I was a <laughs> super weird kid that they're like, okay, let little Alex do her poem up there again. You know? <laughs> so I was, I was that kid through high school and I was always writing in my journal at lunch and like just being weird in the corner. And, um, and I was obsessed with hip hop, like from a, from a 
kid. Uh, I had an older cousin who put me onto a tribe called Quest when I was like seven. And then when the internet, we got like a home computer in the basement, the dial up. Um, it was so slow, but there was, li- <laughs> there was like lime wire. I was like 13, 12 or 13. It was so slow. And there was lime wire and you could, you could basically pirate music. And so like, you didn't need adults to buy the CDs for you. Cause this is back when like, if you wanted to buy the adult CD, you had to, or the parental advisory sticker CDs, you had to have an adult with you. Um, so we used to get kids to buy the CDs for us, the older kids, but that's when I started to like really see the depth of how far hip hop went. And we had the Detroit radio stations in Toronto. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. So I, I, we got a little bit from that as well but i was like i was like obsessed with hip-hop that was the other like weird nerdy thing that i was into that like all the other kids in my school were like okay sounds good i was like drawing graffiti in my book (laughs) what were the other kids into because yeah i it was it was cool back then to like hip-hop for sure like i feel like it was it was always a cool thing to like but like i liked hip-hop as like the culture like all of the elements like so like breaking and and graffiti and like entrepreneurship and street fashion and and all of those things but like i didn't have money so i couldn't like dress like like hip-hop or i couldn't like like have the new cd or like whatever so i would just be like doing research like i was like the research kid like i was reading um I was reading uh, KRS-One made like a hip hop Bible called Temple of Hip Hop. So I was like reading that shit with the highlighter and like making notes and stuff. Like I was so into it. And I think the one thing looking back that I was like really obsessed with about hip hop was it was a community of people that like, that like wanted to build something together. And I think like anyone from like a broken home situation can relate. And sometimes you find that in different things like a workplace or a gang or like things like that. But hip hop is one of those communities where like you can just show up. And if you're willing to like put in the work and like love everyone in that circle, then like we can all build something together, whether it's like a song or an album or like a a group or whatever it is. And that was something I like was always obsessed with finding like this little thing family you know that's interesting when did you i want to go back and talk about the poetry but i also want to mm. address but like what, what well we'll go back to the poetry i'm mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i just was like interested in what drew you into poetry because that is i mean it's a logical transition from poetry to hip-hop but i was just like wondering what was the first like what about poetry drew you in yeah, I had this, um, I went to this really cool school called UFA, um, which was like, you had to apply to get in and they like took kids from everywhere in the city. Like it didn't matter where in the city you were. Um, and the whole like concept of the school was based off this woman, Ursula Franklin. And the whole concept was like leadership and like letting students like lead their education. Fuck, that's um, great. so Right. It was so cool. So on Wednesdays, we had these things called Wednesday sessions and they were like student led and the teachers would supervise. Um, like we wouldn't do school. We'd show up at 10 o'clock instead of eight 30. Um, and like we could sleep in that day. And the first session was from 10 45 to like noon. And they were these student led sessions. So like there was one on like a hip hop, like you could learn how to cook, um, like sewing, like there were sports like volleyball and they like would take you out of school for some of them. Like you could have a double Wednesday session where you'd like 
they do beach volleyball at like the beach, you know, like just like really cool stuff. And, and students would design the curriculum and then teachers, you'd, you'd find a teacher to sign off, but the students would run that. And there was all these kind of like extra things like that as well, but they brought in a poetry slam poetry, um, and I actually know the people that came to my school now, David Silverberg and truth is they're both incredible poets. Um, and they came to our school, my grade 11 class to talk to the students about this poetry unit we were doing. And I had already been writing poetry, but I didn't know that it was poetry. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I'd already been writing that stuff. Um, so me and my friend, Steven, we just decided that they ran this like youth slam through the city and we got like involved. And then we did competitions all over the United States and like all over Canada. And I was like in that scene, like heavy for three or four years, even when I started rapping, I was still doing poetry. And then finally I was like, um, cool off this i'm gonna just rap i'm just gonna rap because <laughs> the poetry seems a little 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 weird in in some capacity as far as like it's it has a gatekeeper aspect like many industries do and it just like there's only there's only so many levels you can reach with poetry as far as like a profession goes um and i didn't want to like write a book or like win a national championship so yeah. <laughs> i was like all right i'm gonna make music <laughs> you know what was uh, when did you decide i mean was or uh, like it's like you just sit down one day and go that's it i'm a rapper but uh when when did you start deciding that you should rap or like mm -hmm. i think i was like really afraid to because i'm like i'm this like i'm also really tall i'm six foot two so i'm like this tall weird lanky like white girl from canada who's like i'm gonna be a rapper you know like that's like so i was like really scared to be like this is what i'm gonna do um but in first year university on the first day I had already been writing rhymes and I, I would say like, Oh, it's, it's my poetry, but it would be like, it would be a rap. Like it would be rapping, but I just like, I didn't want to make that conversion yet. And then, um, the first day of university, we had like uh, orientation where they like brought all the groups together. And the question was, uh, what is one thing that like nobody knows about you or one weird thing about you or whatever. And I think I just was like, I'm in this new place. There's all these people here that I don't know. Like I don't know one person here. I can just like say that I'm a rapper, you know? <laughs> and so I just did. I was like, I was just like, Oh yeah. Like I rap. And they're like, and then I remember like the frosh group guy was like, Oh, do you need to, do you need to be like on alcohol to do that? Or like, you know, like, I think it was like, he's like thinking about like all these like frat boys who like freestyle when they're drunk. Um, but I was like, no. And I just stood up and I said one of my like poetry things that had all this like rhythm in it and rhymes. And like, everybody was like, Oh my God. And then my best friend, Patrick, who I met on that day was also a rapper. And he said that, and then me and him, we just like linked up and we spent all university writing and rhyming and rapping all over the campus and making music. And we eventually formed a group together. And still to this day, Patrick's like a very famous Toronto rapper as well. Now, like we both did it, you know, <laughs> which is crazy. But that was that day. That's like a movie moment. It is. That's it is like a your, movie moment. That's like the end of act one in your biopic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Like that's exactly. crazy to me though. Like did, were, were you nervous at all or were you just like, fuck it, here I go. I think I've always had this like kind of 
like go get it attitude as far as like if I want something and I'm going to do it then like I'll do it so I I had no problem public speaking and I think poetry had trained me really well to like get up in front of people and perform like I was at that point a pretty well-known poet like youth poet throughout the city and I was performing at events with like a thousand people and stuff like that you know so I was like oh there's like this group of like 30 people in Quebec that don't know me like yeah I'm a rapper (laughs) but you know how like people you go to university and they kind of have this relief of kind of like I can be whoever I want to be now. Yeah. You know, and I felt, I, I already felt like I was, I was that per, like I had a rap to perform in front of everybody already. Like I had already been doing it. I just had never said like, Oh, I rap now. Like I'm, I am an MC. Like I had already been rapping, but I had not been like a proclaimed MC yet. Um, and then that day, like I felt was a relief almost like it was like, Oh, I'm, this is who I'm supposed to be. And then there was no looking back. Literally. That was, uh, I think 11 years ago and I've never stopped since then. Fuck. That's amazing. Yeah. I've literally like been upset. I wouldn't, I would not go to parties. Like I was like, it was a thing where people would come to, to my dorm or eventually to my house and be like, yo, you need to come out. And I'd be like, I'm working on music. (laughs) Like like, like, I was like, I was always just, I applied that same worth work ethic. And then the really cool thing was YouTube was popping off at that moment. And there was this community around the world that was entering these rap competitions, much like the TikTok stuff is going on right now. YouTube had that era as well. And I met um, this group of guys and we ended up calling ourselves December gang. Cause we met December 12, 12, 12, I think. Yeah. 2012 of December 12. And, um, and they were from all over the place. Like one guy was from Texas. One guy was from New Jersey. One guy was from Puerto Rico. There's another guy in England. And like we linked up as a group and we'd enter all these competitions together and we'd link up on, um, Google plus it was called at that point. And we would literally spend eight or nine hours a night helping each other develop. Wow. And, to this day, I'm still friends with most of those people and not all of them like rap still, but there's a couple of them in that group that are like my best friends. Like I'll be at their wedding and be an aunt to their kids and stuff. So <laughs> it's like crazy. That, when did you, is freestyling always been a part of it opposed to the way you create or do you write? And cause I've watched a lot of your TikTok videos and mm-hmm. like, it's fucking impressive. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I will. I will preface that. Like, I should probably start prefacing with the TikToks that not all of them are freestyles. You can usually tell, like, by where my eyes are looking, that if I'm like reading or if I'm looking at the camera. Um, not all of them are off the top of my head. Like, I've written some of them. The longer ones usually are are written, um, but they're quick. They're quick written. That we call them free verses. Like, the point is to just sit down and write every day. But Patrick in the first year of university. I was really uncomfortable with the idea of freestyling and he could only freestyle. He had never sat down to actually write a song. And that's all that I did was I would write like actual verses that could go into songs that I heard on the radio. Um, and so we helped each other. So he'd make me freestyle at the party and then I'd bring him back to the dorm and be like, okay, write a verse on this song. And it has to be about the topic that they already gave you. Um, so we really helped train each other. And then I think since then, I've just been like really trying to 
freestyling is one of those things though, that goes in and out. Like if you don't practice, you're no good at it anymore. Like you could be the best freestyler in the world three years ago and then not practice a day since then and not have it anymore. It's like a skill you have to constantly flex. So even now with the TikToks, I've been getting a lot better at it. But like last year, if you asked me to freestyle on the radio, I'd never do it. I would, I would look at you like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> Is there any like status within the rap community about like, oh, they can write, but they can't freestyle and vice versa. Or does it, it does no one give a shit? I don't think it, I don't think that exists anymore. When I was starting off, if you couldn't freestyle, they, they would say you weren't a real MC. Like they'd be like, oh, if you can't freestyle, you're not a real MC. And then I recently, like in the last five years have been like connected with a lot of other female MCs, which was like, it's like a whole story, but basically I, in the evolution of uh, so many genres, there's always like one girl for every crew and they use that girl to compete against other girls. So we're like used as kind of like weapons against each other a lot. And, um, with the sorority, which was the group that I was in, uh, I finally was able to bond with like other women around hip hop and like kind of figure out what, what they're thinking and how they feel about, about writing and things like that. And I recognize that the thing that was holding me back from freestyling is like, okay, so you're the only girl. I like some of these competitions I used to go to, to rap. Like I'd be like the only girl, there's two or 300 guys there. I'm like the only one girl there. And so we're outside at a cypher and they want you to freestyle. And you're thinking in your head, this might be the only chance that they give me the mic. So like, I'm not going to waste it on something that might sound bad off the top of my head. Like I'm going to give you a pre-written verse that's going to blow you away because this might be the only time you pass me that mic, you know? And so I started to recognize that that was a big like fear thing that I had with freestyling, but I don't think freestyling is a lot of people don't freestyle. Like most, I would say like majority of rappers don't freestyle now. I just think it's that, kind of a lost art. I just like whoever makes those decisions is like, well, if you're not a free, if you can't freestyle, you're not a rapper. I'm like, who makes that fucking decision? <laughs> yeah. Like, like there's right. so many things. And I things. always hated that. Yeah. There's just so many things in society in general where I'm like, who the fuck made this decision? Right. Right. <laughs> like, and, and there's different kinds. Like some of my, like some of my heroes that I've been able to meet over like the last decade, like can't perform a live show. Well, really? you know, yeah. Like you're just like, Oh man, like your lyricism and your flow and like your actual ability to rap is impeccable, but I'm bored at your show, you know? And so like, that's another thing too. Like there's so many elements to be this great, like a great MC that I, I think, and I'm very vocal about it on my Instagram story. Like I will show often my like fuck ups, like I'm learning how to play instruments now and I'll, I'll put like all the fuck ups on my story. And like, same with my rapping stuff. Like what I'll every so often compile a compilation compilation of me just blowing it on like a track because like that's, that's a reality. And I think with this like braggadocious kind of shit, sometimes we get lost in like that rapping is really hard <laughs> and like that the skill of doing that and like getting up every day and like attacking that is like there's so many elements there's lyricism and cadence and inflection and tone and 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 preserving your voice and being able to shoot it when you want to and then live shows and merch and management and like there's like it's so it's a whole fucking thing it's unbelievable how much goes into it i yeah, I was. I think that's great that you show yourself 
fucking up. The theme of the mm-hmm. show seems to be fucking up. <laughs> hey, I love that. I love that. I'm that I'm on the guest on this episode too. <laughs> I didn't. That was not a conscious choice. It just seems to be the. But like, I find it interesting because there is like a presentation with a lot of, and I'm not like well knowledgeable of all rap, blah blah. But it, there does seem like mm. a presentation of like I don't fuck up and I'm this and that. And yeah. to, so I think to show that is maybe something people haven't seen much of because I feel am I wrong on that tell me if I'm wrong no it, I know I mean like it I listen as a white person in hip-hop I am not the innovator of anything so I will go I'm a very much a guest in this culture and there is not one thing I've done that is new here uh, but I will say that there is like a I think in all music not even just the genre of hip-hop there is this like saving face kind of like it works if, if you decide like I'm going to be this elusive mysterious figure and put out a really good song every once in a while and like have people like just think of me however they want it works like your fan base grows people become a culty and obsessive and they want to know more about you and like that area really works for me I'm like just even in my everyday life, like I've got hella tat- colorful tattoos. I'm six foot two. I'm fucking always wearing some kind of baggy hip hop clothes. Like you could spot me at the fucking grocery store. Like I'm not elusive or mysterious in any way. I walk around Toronto and people talk to me all the time because they just know that it's me. Like you could just see me from anywhere. So thinking like that, I was going to come off as this like cool, like non nerdy, mysterious figure was just like, I just dread dead that immediately and then I had to lean into what I actually was which was like this person who's obsessed with my craft who works very hard and who is willing to to learn and pick up anything and I also teach students how to rap uh that's like a bit a big part of my life is I run this program called the MC Rec Shop and I kind of wanted to set an example for my students that like that no one is born with this skill. Like, and that goes for anything kind of like, yeah, there's a natural inclination, especially if you have a family that's like, you have a MBA father, like you might play, pick up a basketball, you know? Um, and same with music. Like if you have parents who are musically inclined, but for me, not no one in my family, not a cousin, not an aunt, not no one in my family does music in any capacity. So it was just like, this is something that I want for my life and that I love and that I'm going to do every day until I'm good at it. And you can watch me on my Instagram story. I'll, I put me playing the bass week nine. Here's me flopping all over Lenny <laughs> Kravitz, you know, like, <laughs> uh, I, yeah. Cause I, I wanted to talk about you cause you, you're picking up bass keys and then you've taken vocal lessons as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the MPD as well. What's that? Oh, is yeah. that the yeah, the... yeah, it's a drum. It's a finger drumming, yeah. Because um, was that... Because I know that happened during pand- the pandemic. You're like, was that just like, okay, I want to expand my horizons as an artist type of, or a mix Yeah, of- it was like probably a mix of... I'm bored in the house and there's no, there's no touring. There's no touring to, if I'm going to be honest, like there's no shows. There's no, um, I actually like picked up a job too. I was a courier. So like I would be working 10 hour days delivering packages to people and then coming home and just being like, uh, there's nothing to do. And 
I wasn't making music at that point. There was like some music that was coming off uh, up on my album that was already made and some that I didn't have the content for yet. So I was like, I want to be doing music. And I also have this vision for my career that I'm going to end up like scoring film stuff or video games. That's where I want to end up. Um, And so that just was like, well, I have to learn instruments. So I picked up the piano I got like a, a nice cheap kind of Yamaha keys. I was like, whatever, I can just start on whatever and then I'll upgrade when I need to. And uh, it took me about six months to start being able to like really move on the keys well. Um, and then once I got a good grip on that, I, I played piano for a year, which took me to March. Then I picked up the MPD and the bass. The bass was like an investment because it cost me about just under a thousand dollars to get a, a bass and an amp. But then once I learned the piano, it was kind of like, Oh, you could just pick up an instrument. <laughs> you know, like, I was like, Oh, if you just do it every day, like eventually you could play the instrument. Have you seen that uh, this learning these instruments affect the way you uh, approach rap now and other sort of uh, creating songs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think like with the keys, it it helped more with like the singing and like the melodic stuff. Like you'll see um, on terracotta, which I'm releasing on July 9th. I like open the whole EP with me playing piano and, and just like, I'm starting to sing more on the choruses and hooks and just having that melody. And then when I picked up the bass and it's only been a couple months, so I don't know where it's going to take me, but the bass is just such a rhythmic instrument. And there are so many things that happen when playing the bass where I'm like, Oh, Actually, the one really cool thing that I've always done to practice, because I train and that's like something I think that sets me apart from other people is like I spent I carve out two to three hours a day to like actually train as an MC. Um, one of the activities that I've set for myself is I watch um, like university drum lines and then I like rap with the snare drum because I was like, oh, the snare drum is like the lead um, and you could pretty much replace the snare with vocals and and create a whole flow based on what a snare drum does and that goes for any of them but snares are just really cool to me so um and so that was some has anybody rapped with a marching band before yeah they actually uh i don't i don't know like in in i know in america the drum line is like there it's almost non-existent here but the drum lines in 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 america are huge um i know like in that famous movie that everyone talks about drum line they have pd pablo and he comes and raps to like the intermission and i was like this is so cool (laughs) i've seen like guys rap with new orleans brass bands which is really fucking badass like i love those kind of brass bands anyway and then to throw it it's just like when the first time i heard somebody rap with one of those i was like holy fuck like we need more of this (laughs) yeah and like the i think the really cool part about hip-hop right now everyone always talks about like the negative growth of hip hop into like, you'll hear like people talking about mumble rapping and like all these things, but there is like hip hop is so alive in so many different countries. And like, God bless fucking New York for giving us hip hop because it has really expanded everywhere. And each place has really created their own sound with it and even now the next generation is picking it up and combining it with all like the alternative hip-hop it like has never been bigger you know like there's so many different sound people rapping with funk or over like chill step kind of stuff um there's like 
any every instrument you can think of in the world from every country there's someone rapping on it and you know and i love i love that to me that's what hip-hop is about it's about like creativity and community and like collaboration you know how is because i know like even within America, there, I mean, there was New York and L.A. rap, East Coast, West Coast. And then, like, mm-hmm. for other cities to break in for a while, it was like, a, the Big industry deal. was, yeah, and it was resistant. And then, of course, it, I think it was in other places, like Atlanta and, yeah. and Chicago had the South, the, Yeah, the South, Outcasts, um, and then, yeah, the East Coast, West Coast. The, there was, like, a big push on on pure true pure hip-hop right like there was that there was that original sound and then yeah other people adding their flavor to it but now it's the biggest it's the biggest genre ever was there any resistance with like toronto or like that would did that seem outsider-ish to the hip-hop world or does that not even and i wouldn't know toronto has toronto has a really deep rooted hip-hop scene and i think what's changed is that we're finally getting the recognition like we got to give credit to drake where where it's due which is that that drake was able to bring international attention in a way that we have never seen and with drake also comes so many people behind the scenes of toronto that have been working for decades to make that happen but also like you have like mishy me and cardinal official and and socrates and uh maestro fresh west like these are big big players that took their music international before people were even looking at toronto um and and then there's the rest of Canada, which is still being kind of discovered, but Toronto has finally gotten this, this light. But yeah, from, from, I mean, I'm not that old, but from, since I was a kid, people have, have been doing this and I have been seeing hip hop breach all over Toronto for my entire life. But I think what's changing is the, the international recognition I didn't even know Drake was Canadian, so that shows you what the fuck. Yeah, I know. yeah, he's, he's right. <laughs> yeah, Drake. Drake is Canadian. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, he, I feel like he, there's a, a lot of stuff coming out of Canada and Toronto and Montreal. Like I've had a slew of Canadians on the podcast over the last few months, and I'm just and like some of yeah. the artists are like my. I'm just like these. It's fucking incredible. Not that yeah borders People don't matter, been, right? No, they don't. But people have been really, I think we also have a huge R&B scene here. Like uh, I will like, I will say this and my opinion doesn't really fucking matter, but, uh, R&B, but we have the best things. <laughs> we have the best, we have like some of the best R and B artists in the world here. Um, and I can't wait. Like people have been really doing it. Like Jesse Reyes and Daniel Caesar, like they're from here. They're, 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 they're youth like I am from here that are doing it in an explosive way. But like, there's also a scene of people who are like, I would say like have just reached like a popularity outside of Canada, but haven't exploded yet that are like, are coming for, for hip hop and R and B in a big way. Um, yeah, there's some Montreal, some Vancouver artists, Halifax has some crazy artists as well. Um, so people are starting to be like, yo, what's in the water over there? Like, what are you, what are you guys like? You guys are always hella talented. And I think it's just, we have a really small infrastructure to support artists out here. And the government is pretty good at um, providing funding. That's like a big thing. That's uh, incredible. Like we don't yeah. have shit here. Like some grants, yeah. but you, you have to, it's, I wouldn't even know where to begin to get a fucking grant. 
Yeah, like the the grand system out here. There's start. There are again so many players on the behind the scenes that are are making trying to make the grants that we have way more accessible to add the artists that actually need it. Um, and like making sure that it includes the diversity of artists. Hip hop is pretty historically underfunded in Canada. Um, and genres that are like classical and like house or EDM are, are more, uh, funded here. So uh, the granting system is not perfect in any way, but having this conversation with my American friends, they're like a grant, the fuck is a grant, you know, like, <laughs> like, and with that too, I think some of the creatives that like you can spend money with, like making a video or marketing are way more expensive here than they are in the States because they know we have access to this type of stuff. So like, it might cost $20,000 to have a basic marketing plan out here. Whereas like, yo, like some of my friends in America is like, if you give me $20,000, I'm going to blow up. <laughs> I'll blow myself up over there. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's the infrastructure needs work. And there's so many amazing fucking people. Like I can't even give them all of the credit, but there's so many amazing people that are doing the leg work behind the scenes that are not artists that just want to see Toronto win. And that's why we've been winning is because of those people. Yeah. I, I, I would say that a lot of America doesn't even know how diverse Toronto, like I've been to Toronto so diverse, a bunch and people, I think people think of Canada as like a lot of white people. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no, but I don't and know I why mean, that is. Well, I, I think so there's like, there's like a few perspectives here is like one Toronto doesn't is very different from the rest of Canada. Like it's very, very different. Like Canada is super fucking racist and, and, and we have historically been like Canada is this like nice place. And we've been able to like label ourselves as this like international, like peace hold across the world. But like just today they found 751 um, indigenous children from residential was, schools. Did you, you just read that, right? Was, like, yeah. And I've had two indigenous artists on the show and uh, from America and yeah. it's just like the, the just a long it's horrific it's horrific like, and shit you just i was just like i thought i knew was somewhat aware and I'm just like it is just yeah beyond and those, what we can comprehend those residential schools were were uh supported and funded by the government and by catholic churches and and they are just now after Indigenous people for decades have been yelling and screaming and writing reports and taking to the government about these graves, these mass graves that are unmarked, by the way, um, from residential schools. They are just now finding these children. And I like there's so much reparations that need to be like Canada has so many um territories with with uh unclean water like no drinking water um indigenous everything is underfunded like there's so much reparations and like healing that needs to be done and and it starts with accountability and canada won't even do that so it's like toronto is also toronto just right down the street from my house just sent uh hundreds of police officers to demolish encampments that have been popping up um 
without secure housing for, for so many people, they're just sending like the amount of money that you would need to have reliable housing for people is going to police so that they can just take down these encampments. And I post a lot of it on my Instagram on that. I don't eloquently speak about this as, as much as I should, but it's like, that's the type of shit where I'm just like, Canada is not, we're not this like peacemaking, like diverse, like everybody is loved here. Yeah. It's, it's cause I have a friend who's from Toronto and I made a joke a while back about like how I, like let me stay on your couch so I can escape this country and she's like it's not much better <laughs> she's like it's pretty no, it's much not. the same and, it is and, yeah and then she gave me a bunch of information I was like fuck we're, it's- yeah and I like I specifically um because I have so many ties to the United States because I I did with that group that I was telling you about, I spent a large portion of my early twenties traveling to the States. I lived in California. You lived um, in the Bay area for a while, right? Yeah. The Bay area. And then I also lived in LA for a little while as well. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah. Um, just like I, I'm talking about six months in each place, like not, not too long, but yeah, like I had a job in both places and like went to work and that kind of stuff. So how'd you like uh, LA? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> what neighborhood um, were you in? I was, I was not, I was in Van Nuys, so oh, yeah. I wasn't There's really a reason you in that. Like... Yeah, it's it a... was not fun. Yeah, Van Nuys is still not fun. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, and, and it was cool because I, like, I, at that point was, um, working with another artist out there and, uh, we were, the studio that we were at was in Hollywood. So like we, I was, I was like in the center all the time and exploring and as, as well. Um, and now I have friends that live in, in downtown LA that I go visit a, a lot and there's so many cool parts of LA. And I think it's just like, I don't know anybody that's like native to LA that can, can show me the good parts of LA or like the, the better parts of LA. And like, I've, I've just been in the kind of touristy kind of. All right. Whatever. Well, yeah. I guess when you come, I've lived here 20 years. I'm from Chicago originally, but. Okay. So but, you're from LA. Yeah. I've, I, we moved outside LA cause it's gotten so expensive and I have yeah. kids. So I couldn't have, I couldn't get like a two bedroom. I was just, it was, it's gotten so crazy expensive. So we had. Yeah. To, but there's great, like, it's like, it's not like a city you can get in a weekend or whatever. Like there's yeah. each neighborhood is like its own city in a lot of ways. And, but uh, so there are like these weird little pockets that are just amazing. And then if you're in the and wrong, the food's really cool as well. The yeah. Food there's you guys like, have a- you'll find like a cool little like mom and pop shop in a strip mall that you're just like, how the fuck did I not know about this? And it will be like yeah. incredible Thai food. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. That kind of stuff. I, I, I do really like love. LA. I do like LA for that. And like the the people that you can meet there, like the culture is cool. I think the the more part I should specify that I, I did love was the, the music scene out there that I was connected to because it just seemed like everybody was just willing to do whatever they needed to like get to the top, you know? Um, and that, that kind of feels not like Toronto in that sense. So, um, but I, there was really cool experiences. I shouldn't shit out my Oh no, no. <laughs> I, a lot of, I get, believe me. I get it. And I had a long, it took me, uh, years to uh, find an, uh, like, 
it, it took a lot of work for me to yeah, get to the other side of, of, of liking LA. Cause it's also, you're here for a career. And if that does, isn't going the way you thought it would, it's a lot of punches in the face. <laughs> right. Right. And there's just, it's the competition. Like you're the smallest, smallest fish in the biggest, biggest pond. Yeah. And like the competition is crazy. I also like, I think was, because I'm not from California in any capacity, I was also comparing LA to the Bay, which I love the Bay so I would live much. In the Bay Area over if it LA, wasn't so expensive, yeah. yeah, yeah. If it wasn't so expensive, I would live there. Like I love the Bay so so much. So that was also like there's a comparison there that probably was unfair because it's a whole different place. But I, would, I was expecting it to be similar in some capacities, but it's not at all. Yeah, San Francisco. I've spent a lot of time in San Francisco and a little bit in Berkeley never been to Oakland I really want to check out Oakland yeah I was able to explore a little bit more there like I was a little bit more integrated uh my friend Stevie Ray who's also a rapper lives out there and I got to he kind of inserted me into his life as far as like he was like you should be in California if you want to do music we were already they had took me on tour like why don't you just come here and stay and like we'll hook you up with a little job and like he worked at a restaurant and so we were able to kind of do that and that was so much cooler for me. We were in Redwood. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. And Northern so, California is the best. It's gorgeous. It, there's everything about it is great. Oh, my goodness. Just everything. And then, like, we spent so many... We went to, like, Santa Cruz to, like, do shows all the time. And, like, just Santa Cruz was amazing. I'm actually going back there on tour um, in October and November with Snotty Nose Res Kids. And I'm so excited to just, like, be back in that kind of strip between L.A. and, like, Santa Ana and Santa Cruz. Like, everything in between is so much fun for me. Like, I do really love California. Do you... Do you think about moving here? Does that seem like a... I do. I do. I actually... I was actually planning to do that this year. Um, I was like, once the pandemic is over, I'm going to see what happens and, and maybe I'll move out there. But I do, I'm now dating someone here, so, we're, <laughs> <laughs> so we might be locked in that. <laughs> I don't know. But I do... Uh, Toronto, I, I was like born and raised here and I... There's a there's this feeling of like guilt leaving it kind of because like, I feel like uh, most of the successful artists have had to leave to like do it bigger than they can do from here in Toronto. And then there are some artists that are, are still living here that are doing it in a big capacity. Um, And I think I'm just kind of discovering what kind of career I'm actually looking for, you know, and that's a, that's a big deal is I don't, I don't know if I want the like level of fame that I thought I did, you know, because I'm starting to see examples of, of artists that I'm meeting that are making a really decent, like really good living, just touring and putting out music and putting out merch and having a great fan base and like them not being on these, like, like not in the center of gossip or like a height of fame or like any of that kind of stuff where like people are constantly talking about them, but like they, there is a middle ground where like you're not a starving artist and you're not this super famous person that like people do can thrive. And I'm starting to recognize that that might be a good path for me. Is there anything specific that like that big fame? Cause I, Believe me, I fucking und- I I get it. <laughs> yeah, like, right, cause, right. Because I've seen some friends of mine get mild fame, and I'm like, that looks fucking terrible. Yeah, that's kind of 
I mean, every time something goes viral, like in any capacity, like there's a, there's a good sample size, I'll call it, of like what you can expect people think about you, right? And like me as a white hip hop artist, not, not, there's not a lot of good sometimes, like depending on the video, there's one I have on my TikTok that almost like hit a million, which for TikTok is not even that big of a number, but like it's the biggest sample size that I've ever had just on my solo stuff. So I was able to see like, people just want to know so much about your life and so much about like who you are that like, I'm pretty private as a person. And I just feel like, I don't know if I want that. Like, I don't know if I want people talking about my outfits and my fucking what I eat every day and shit. Like, like I don't, I, that doesn't seem interesting to me. <laughs> it seems weird to me that some people enjoy that. Like I have, some, yeah. And like, I, I don't know. There's a certain, it's a certain makeup in the brain, but like, I think I would be in an endless panic attack if that was me. <laughs> so, and that's, that's kind of where I'm at too, is like, I like, I definitely have anxiety as well. So that makes me like to think that I'm the like center of like anyone's like attention for that reason is seems so dumb to me. And then I'm also like, I'm also getting into a life where like, I'm thinking like, is is this what I should be contributing solely you know like like what else can I like I'm I I went to school for criminology and and my passion at that point was prison reform and and thinking about like how could you change the system and now as I'm getting older I'm like there's no changing the system there's only tearing it down and how do we do that and what is my role in that look like if there's a role at any other than support and and of course fighting and education and all that stuff is is on the side but like what is the what's the purpose of my life and is it just is it just to freestyle on tiktok and do some shows like i don't know so i think that's like the big the big kind of question that i've been wondering about lately is just like i want to contribute to the world in a good way and i i'm just trying to figure out what what that looks like or what's the most beneficial part of that for everyone yeah uh, yeah, that's that's a big fucking question. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and then and then on the side of that, there's like your everyday to day life. You know, like you just I, I I keep repeating this like everywhere I go. But I watched that Dave Chappelle uh, special, which was brilliant on Netflix, and he was talking about how his dad said like make every just try and make the corner of your your earth something like that as good as you can like just contribute what you can to your corner of the world and and i'm like that's that's what i try to do every day you know like every day i show up for the people in my community and and we fight against the evictions and and the, the fucking police brutality and um the, the the ongoing hunger and food systems and all I, I we do that every day and i'm wondering if there is a if there is a bigger role to be even played or you just continue to do that your whole life, we're getting real deep and introspective <laughs> here, but, but do you know what I'm saying? Like that's, there's a, I'm, there's like this, I think every decade, you know, like twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, people go through like, what's the purpose of my life? You know, yeah. like, what do I want to do next? And I'm like approaching, crouching on that 30. And I'm like, is there a bigger role that I should be playing other than trying to be this like famous musician? <laughs> It's, I don't know. I I wish I had a fucking answer. I, no, yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, me too. I, that would help me too. I feel like for me, and I, yeah, not that I'm it, but you know, I, I've, I, I repeatedly have turned to Buddhism, I guess, in my 
life. Mm. And I feel like there's that like sort of philosophy of make yourself whole so you can change. Not that I'm anywhere near being a whole human being. I'm a, (laughs) I got a fucking storm in my head 90% of the time, (laughs) but I'm trying to quiet it. Yeah. Yeah. I I've actually recently, uh, during the pandemic as well, taken up meditation. And I, I will say that like, just that, that same concept of like being whole, but also like being in the present and like not trying to worry too much about like what you're going to contribute or what, what's ahead or what was behind, like just here and now is for someone like me who again, storm in the head, same deal. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, a good, good thing. Yeah. I, I got away from meditation for a while and then lately things have been so just, uh, and I, I, you know, when I have kids too now, so I'm like, I don't want to mm. be, I like, they, How old are your kids? One years old and five. Oh, okay. So you're in it. You're I'm in, in it. it. And they're, <laughs> and I, I, you know, they're two young girls and they're super smart, but I'm like, I realize how much my actions are influenced what their life will be. And I don't want right. to, I don't want to be, I, I won't lie to you. I used to really like liquor. <laughs> <laughs> no. And then that's, we all have our vices and that's all part of it. You know, it's just like, like that's a similar thing, but through your kids is like, what's your contribution to their life? You know, like, what is that going to look like? And that like thought can be so daunting. Yeah. Like, what am I going to contribute to, to these humans that I've made that are like this, this life that I'm trying to live. I don't want to take my role as a musician and like abuse it in any way. You know, that's like my biggest thing is like, Similar to like alcohol, I feel like fame is one of those vices that like you I can start agree. to feel, you can start to feel like you don't live in everybody else's world. And I I don't want that for myself. And I, I definitely don't want it to change me in any kind of capacity. And I, I am seeing it now, having some of my friends pick up a lot of fame that like, that it's a strong drug. (laughs) Yeah. And I think with that wealth, I think money, those are two things that really warp your perceptions of reality. I have friends who, Mm -hmm. who went from like being broken, working class like me to getting money and just the concept, the reality they lost where they'd be like, they just would assume I too had money. I'm like, I don't got anything, mother. (laughs) I got nothing. Right. Right. And like, it didn't compute. And I'm like, how does this not like, how did you forget like what it's like to not be able to go out to eat? Right. Right. And that's like, yeah. Or like, I still check my bank account with every purchase, you know, just to make sure that there's money there. Like, you know, like that, that kind of thing. Like I can't imagine a life where I don't do that, but in the same capacity, like you go through all these routes of like, okay, maybe my goal is to make as much money as possible and then like give it back to the community. But then you're like, then I have to participate in capitalism to like a a huge role to do that. And it's like, is that helping anyone? (laughs) And so there's just like this back and forth of like, also like remaining small and smalling up yourself is not a good way to contribute to society either. So it's just like, there's like this halfway point of where it's like, how much is my voice needed? How much space should I realistically be taking up? Like there's all these like kind of things that float through my head every day where I just like, I don't have the answer, but I don't know what my life moving forward is going to look like. And I think to circle back to what we were talking about moving to California was 
was the thing that I was going to do to put myself in a position to get bigger up on the, the totem pole. And now I'm like, mm, yeah, I don't know. The, one of the things that I've learned, and I actually learned this from a teacher I had, not a spiritual teacher, but he mm-hmm. would, if we would, it was actually, it was a director as well. I, we did a show and he, if he didn't know the answer, he'd, he would just with confidence say like, we don't know but we're going to figure it out. And like, that's kind of the approach I've tried to take. Cause it's like, we don't have to know right now. Like it will yeah. come, like it will come. But I am like, I got to fucking know now. And like, I get all, me too. <laughs> me too. And nothing I'm, good I'm starting comes to from, learn that too. Nothing I'm good comes from that, that space, you know? And that's what yeah. I learned when I returned to meditating. I was like, the first thing I noticed is like my brain kept going, Oh, I have to do this thing. And I have to, and then like, I'd want to get up and fix something right away. And I'm like, like that's a bad fucking place to be mentally that is not healthy yeah because you're just like always in this kind of like i think people who grew up in survival mode i use that a lot lately like have that into like because they're constantly like go 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 something needs to be fixed or like you need to survive or like be on it be on it be on it and that can be like unlearning that can be a big long process and i think and similar to what you were saying is I'm starting to learn to say, I don't know, because I have like been kind of caught up in always thinking I need to know for myself, but for other people too. So that comes with like these habits of like lying or like, or like giving your best guesstimation, but not saying like, this is what I maybe think, but I'm not for sure. So you just, it sounds so confident coming out of you, like that kind of thing. I'm now unlearning that like, yo, just because like you grew up in survival mode, just because you're the oldest child, just because like you tend to take on a leadership role doesn't mean you need to have the answers. In fact, it's better if you admit that you don't so that you can lead the pack into a safe place as opposed to like this one that lives in your mind that you think you know. (laughs) Yeah. And to take what I had to learn too, is like I was very like my career and like I probably chose like i had an opportunity to work in amsterdam and man do i wish i would have taken that because but i was like that's yeah. just gonna stall my career and i was like that it, it didn't like my career stalled itself <laughs> just like right 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 but I, like but those are those things go to what is fun and like joy is what i learned probably way too fucking long to learn i know i'm i'm trying to learn that early still because i I, I want to have that insight. Like I, I see with my parents and like with any of my older mentors, like and we all have like regrets or yeah, like the job that we didn't take or the, the move that we didn't do. But I've noticed in talking to them that it's always rooted in, in what you're saying is like at the time I thought I shouldn't take, this feels too good to do. Like it feels like un, uh, irresponsible like to do it at that point, like, you know, to just quit my job and go to Amsterdam or, you know, like to whatever, whatever the case was, like my, my mom was a model and she gave that up to, to do something that was more responsible, you know? And it's like, who knows where that could have taken you because you didn't allow yourself in that moment to be like, this is the most exciting option and I want to take it. Yeah. But you might not be here. I don't know. I hope not. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's the (laughs) thing. That's true. I think of like, if I would have done anything, like I would not be at this moment now where I'm at and I like where I'm at now. And then. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's, it's the the path that we didn't think we were going to take that leads to the, the the moment that we wanted eventually anyways, you know? Yeah. And that makes me very happy. Me too. Um, When's your EP come out? It's soon, right? Yeah. July 9th. So uh, two weeks tomorrow. Yeah. And, I was going to ask, cause I know you've 
when did you record this? Um, this through the pandemic, oh, yeah, okay. this year, a little bit of last year. Um, so it's, it's all new stuff, very new sound. I've just put up the two singles, uh, won't wait and wanted. And, um, Both yeah, great. it's, thank you. I'm really, really excited to release this is like, I've had my hands on this project, like more than I've had like my hand into anything before like every single aspect of it was overseen by me and 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 contributed obviously by me and so many of my like friends and people I love in my life contributed to it as well so I'm just like so stoked for everyone to hear it do you think what you're going to do next is going to be because of the learning keys and all those other instruments that your next album is going to be a even further a bigger you know, movement or whatever the hell you want to say. Yeah. The one, the was one, a very the one. inarticulate moment on my <laughs> no, behalf. No, I, but I got it because there's so many different, like we talked about, there's so many different avenues, like growth in, in your career, but also growth as a, a musician or an artist. Um, but I think both. And the one thing that I always like try and do, and I always say uh, to everyone around me is like, I need to live my life through albums and EPs because I want to have things to talk about and things to contribute to. So I've been doing a lot of that since we've completed this EP and um, I'm excited because yeah, there's going to be new things that there's going to be growth in my thoughts and my lyricism and who I am as a person, but also in instrumentation and production. And I hope, hopefully that means in my career as well. I think there will be, I think you're great. And I was very excited to talk to you. I was like, I Lee who, you know, your PR person. Yeah. Lee. But, um, and you know, I know you have a lot of friends here, but if you end up in LA, I'd at least, offer suggestions i know some yeah or you know show you around i know yeah i think we need to link up and have a meal because there's obviously <laughs> there's obvious there's obviously nine more hours of conversation <laughs> that we need to have <laughs> i hope just for selfish reasons i hope you come out this way and i, I would love to meet you in person and uh yeah and yeah i would love it. and you know come back on in the future you're always welcome Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you. You're great. Thank you so much. I really like you. Just made my fucking day. Ah, me too. Okay, peace, Matt. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Me and Keys will be Thelma and Louise if they dress to the T with a 